two men go missing. And then law enforcement has to ask the ultimate question. And then we take a look at the story of the Billowack monster. The story itself is half spy intrigue, half sci-fi, where a creature who's half man and half sheep is all sorts of trouble. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. You know, it's funny, I would have never watched this if I wasn't doing this show. I was never a huge fan. Uh, I, I didn't hate them, but I just never really watched anything by the Logan Paul and Jake Paul, the, the Paul brothers. But because of the show, I was like, I should check out that new documentary, Flat Earth to the Edge and Back by Logan Paul where Logan Paul, the trailer he released, showed him being convinced that the Earth may be flat. And then they released the trailer, and he's, like, slowly realizing the Earth may be flat. And a bunch of other YouTubers are like, oh my god, of course, Logan Paul... If, Logan Paul, if you don't know, is basically Gaston with a YouTube channel. I mean, that's really the impression that you get when you first, like, just see snippets about this guy. And his brother is pretty much the same. But... They're like, oh my god, of course Logan Paul is so stupid, he would believe in the... He could easily be convinced of the Flat Earth. And that's what the trailer looked like. The movie is 100% a mockumentary. It is, the opening scene, a character dies, and then, like, comes back to life. It, it sets it up right at the... Like, within the first five minutes, I said, oh, this is a comedy. This is a, basically a Borat version of conspiracy theory Flat Earth stuff. Because I was like, obviously a guy, his buddy did not die and then come back to life. Or go into a coma and come back to life. So it's the first scene set it up, it's a total joke. And that's exactly what the movie is. It's a mockumentary. He really does go to a flat earth convention. And they have an actress who's this super hot Australian chick. And she's a flat earther too and they fall in love. And like she's like, let's run away and find the Arctic, the edge. Oh, and his best friend. You grew up in Antarctica, and he found the edge of the the world, and his buddy who had flat feet fell off of it, and and it's so it's just funny. Like I actually laughed out loud several times during the movie. I highly recommend watching it. Of course, the people at the flat Earth convention weren't in on the joke. He made he's making fun of them, and at the end, Logan Paul is such a his character is so stupid that at the end he doesn't believe the world is flat. He believes the world doesn't exist. And that there is no Earth. And it was really well done. Definitely, I would check it out. Like I said, I laughed a couple times. I've never watched anything from him. I've seen a couple of rap videos from Jake Paul. And I wasn't impressed. But I was actually very impressed by this. This guy and his team really went out and made a funny documentary. Basically, it was this show with a $10 million budget. It was better than the show. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, he has a whole crew, but it was the same type of vibe. It was something I would do if I had access to that kind of money. I would just troll people constantly who believe in ridiculous stuff, i.e. flatter. So, good job, Logan Paul. I really enjoyed it, and I recommend it highly. I'm a hard guy to get a laugh out of in a movie. I'm really... Yeah, I can't remember the last time I laughed in a movie theater. It's Well, I don't go to movie theater anymore, but I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of comedies in general. But you want to hear a story that's not funny, which involves a human misery and and mothers crying over their missing kids. If you want to hear that story, let's go to Florida. 
So for our next story, let's go ahead and we're hopping over to Florida. Literally, because we're dead rabbits. We hop across the country from Logan Paul's house all the way to Naples, Florida. And while we're hopping, we actually hop through a time portal and end up in the year 2003. It's October 2003. Beautiful, sunny day. Salsa music playing. I don't know, what do they play in Florida? Like the big bass? uh, Two Live Crew is playing. They're doing a reunion tour in Naples this year. In 2003, for whatever reason. Two Live Crew is back. It's They So Horny, dot, 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 still tour. So, in this in this city, you had a young man named Philippe Santos. Now, he was an illegal alien, and he was working illegally. And he's driving through town, and he gets in a minor car accident. Now, a minor car accident, to most people, is like, oh, this totally sucks. But, got my insurance stuff. I got actually hit by two cars at the same time once. And neither of them had insurance. It was the worst thing ever. And I was a pizza delivery driver, and I wouldn't let him leave the scene. So I uh, just fed him pizza. I had all these pizzas in my back seat, and they, two of the people, they didn't speak a word of English. And then the people in the other car was like a mom and a son, and neither of them had insurance. And I was like, no one leaves until the cops show up. It took them three hours. Because at any point, if you get in a car accident, even a fender bender, and someone says, I'll just, we'll let her hash it out later. They could just say it never happened. So I made them stay there. And I actually got a fat settlement from my company for that. Because I totally messed up my shoulder. But anyway, so fender benders, though, generally. Getting hit by two cars is a little more than a fender bender. But fender bender, you're like, ah, you know, little scrapes and stuff like that. But it was a minor car accident. However, again, you want the cops to come out. Now, Felipe knew that... This was more than just a minor scrape. Like, he is not supposed to be living or working in the United States. So he's a little nervous. He's a little nervous. The other guy's bumping some two-life crew to to lift his spirits. He's like, yeah, you're right. I am kind of horny. But anyway, so so the police show up, and it is Deputy Steve Calkins, who had been with the force for a while. And he's getting their information. At that point, he realizes Felipe is illegal. So he's like, listen, man, you know, I'm going to have to take you to jail. And Felipe's like, yeah, I get it, dude. You know, it sucks. Gets in the back of the cop car. Cop car drives away. And the other person involved in the accident is kind of like, that's that was that kind of sucked. Drives away as well. Now, Felipe's boss finds out that he's been arrested. And he's like, oh, great. But he wants he doesn't want to just have him rot in jail until all this is settled. He calls up the police station. This is a boss. This is a pretty dope boss. Calls up the police station and says, I want to pay his bail. Let's get him out of there. He can come back. We'll figure all this stuff out. Because at that point, the boss is like, yeah, he's probably getting deported. But, you know, I just don't want him to sit in jail for 90 days. He's a good guy. He's a nice guy. So he calls up the the police department and says, I want to bail him out. And the, the well, he called him the jail, actually. But the jail goes, no, we don't know who you're talking about. This guy was never booked in here. And he's like, I know he was arrested. And they're like, we, he might have been arrested, but he was never booked in our jail. At that point... Day or two later, Felipe just never shows back up to work. So people are starting to get suspicious. They're like, where is Felipe? He would never miss this two live crew concert. But the two live crew concert came and went, and no Felipe. I actually don't know if Felipe was a fan of two live crew. I'm just trying to lighten the story as much as I can. Felipe never shows back up. And they keep pressing on the police. And the police go to Deputy Steve Calkins because they know he was there. And they're like, he's a good officer. They say, what happened? Like, why do you know where he could be? Because you were the last person I was kind of seeing with him. Deputy, the deputy says, okay, here's what happened. There's a car accident. I realized he was illegal. I put him in my car. But as I was driving him to jail, he actually was super polite and just kind of a really nice guy. 
And I said, you know what, I, who ca- I'm not a DEA officer, I don't really care if you're illegal or not, I was just kind of following protocol, I'll just drop you off somewhere, where you want to get dropped off, and he goes, Circle K, drop me off at a Circle K, I'm going to get one of their disgusting generic slushies and some four-day-old donuts, and deputy goes, yeah, that's Circle K, all right, let me drop you off over there. Police are like, well, you should have filed a report, like, and he's like, yeah, but I just, I mean, like, I didn't arrest them. So what would the report say? I let an illegal immigrant go? And they're like, yeah, I guess so. So they tell the boss that. They're like, listen, this is what happened. He picked him up, dropped him off at Circle K because he was really polite. And the boss is like, yeah, he's a really nice guy. Like, that's why I wanted to bail him out and stuff like that. So that sucks. I wonder what happened to him. Cops go, well, we'll keep looking eye out for him. But again, he's an illegal immigrant. He may just be scared and on the run. He could be anywhere. So that was that, right? Deputy Steve Calkins being wooed, being charmed by this man. Dropped him off at a Circle K, and then something bad befell him. But three months later, it's January 2004, and a black man named Terrence Williams goes missing. No one can find him. His mom starts pestering the police, rightfully so. She's not being like a nag. Her son's missing. She wants to know where her son is. She goes to the police. She's like, where's my son? And they're like, listen, your son is an adult. He had an expired license. He could be anywhere. He could be out partying. He could have a big hangover somewhere. Like, give us a couple days. He'll probably turn up. But he doesn't. So the mom keeps looking for him. And eventually she gets her family involved. And her aunt tracks down his Cadillac he was driving the last night he was seen. It's in an impound lot. And on the paperwork that ordered the towing for the car, Deputy Steve Calkins. So the mom starts pressing the police and goes, who's this Deputy Steve Calkins? He must know what happened to my son. So the cops go, that's weird. I mean, like, yeah, we have this towing paperwork, but we don't know anything about Deputy Steve Calkins pulling over your son. And so they go to the deputy and they go, what happened? He goes, okay, here's what's happened. I was driving down the road. I saw this Cadillac. And this was a while back because it had taken this long for them to get to this point in the investigation. But he says, I was driving down the road and I saw this Cadillac in front of me. It was late one night and it was driving a little like in distress. Like I figured that the driver was drunk. I pull him over. There's a dude in the car named Terrence Williams. And they're like, how'd you know his name? He's like, well, I got his name. I asked him for it. I'm not a psychic, but the guy in the car told me his name was Terrence Williams. And he was begging me to let him go. Like he had to get the, if he was late one more time for work, he was going to get fired. And he was just seemed really nice and polite. And so I said, tell you what, I'll give you a right to work. And then I'll come back and I'll process your car. And if anything's wrong with it, I may come back and arrest you or you may get a ticket or something like that. And Terrence Williams is like, thank you, thank you, thank you. The nicest officer in the world. And you're so buff and handsome. You're so strong. And Stephen Hawkins is like, ooh, flattered. And the investigators he's talking to are like, uh, this story sounds made up. But anyways, Terrence Williams gets in the back of the car and Stephen Calkins is telling the cops this story. Now, not about the handsome part, but Stephen Calkins is telling the people this story, the other cops this story, and he says, so I asked Terrence Williams where he worked, and he goes, well, I work at Circle K. The cops are like, what? So he takes Terrence Williams to Circle K, drops him off, comes back to process the car, paperwork's bad, license plates are expired. At that point, he calls up the work and says, I want to speak to your employee, Terrence Williams, and they say, he never worked here. Dun, dun, dun. Stephen Calkins <laughs> makes those piano noises and the investigators are like, what are you, are you, are you insane? And Stephen Calkins is like, no, no, that's exactly what happened. Now, at this point, the cops are super suspicious 
of one of their own. Because they have two people who went completely missing under similar circumstances and both dropped off at a Circle K. Now again, those it could just be a coincidence. But at this point, the cops are now suspicious of this guy. They had Felipe disappear and they had Terrence disappear. And they really start digging into this guy. They go, he got, uh, Terrence Williams got pulled over near a cemetery. The cemetery workers say, that's not what happened. We saw Terrence Williams get in the back of the cop car. And we saw the cop car drive off. Then we saw the cop car come back an hour later, move his car to illegal parking area so a tow truck could pick it up. And Calkins goes, oh yeah, no, I did that so it would be easier for the tow truck. And then the guy at the car accident for the Felipe Santos thing said, yeah, Felipe was really polite. But Stephen Calkins was kind of a jerk to him and was saying, I hate when you people are here illegally and taking our jobs and stuff like that. So the cops are like, okay, the story, like, we, maybe he is a secretly a racist guy, but the story could still make sense. And maybe he did move the car, but maybe it was to make the tow truck. They don't have enough. So they say, hey, we want to investigate you. We want you to come in and really talk about what's going on. Stephen Calkins completely shut up, wouldn't talk. And because he was interfering with an investigation, they fired him. And to this day, no one knows what happened to those people. Disappeared from the face of the earth. No bodies, no evidence, nothing. They're gone. Obviously, when law enforcement commits a crime, it's more gruesome. Because they're the ones, it goes out saying, they're the ones that society says you should protect us. But what's bizarre is I'm wondering, these two got connected. And it was because the families were kind of able to track it back to him. I wonder how many people else that got pulled over by this guy who just went missing, who didn't have families to report it. People who were out of town, who didn't know how to track this down. Is he connected to other things? He's actually, for the first time in 2018, it started in 2018, he's facing a wrongful death suit from the family of Terrence Williams. They're suing him over their son going missing, which has a lower threshold of evidence. And he, of course, and here's the thing, this is what this is what made me think he's more suspicious, even more suspicious. He's representing himself, which either means he's totally broke and can't afford a lawyer, or he's one of those guys who thinks he's smarter than he actually is. He's one of those guys who thinks he's the smartest man in the world and he can fool everyone, i.e. someone who thinks they can defend themselves in court. Civil court actions are not dramatic, really, at all, unless it's the people's court. But I'm very curious to see how this is going to pull off. A possible serial killer representing himself in court to avoid getting sued from the family of one of his alleged victims. Weird. And again, these two stories, they just had the people were able to track it back to Deputy Calkins. You gotta wonder how many other people went missing in Naples, Florida. Last thing they saw was some red and blue lights behind him and a smiling officer with a flashlight telling them to get into the back of his car. I guess he wouldn't be smiling then, but you know what I mean? Like, what are you gonna do? Cop tells you to get in the back of the car. You're just gonna be like, fine. And then once you're in the back of the car, man, all bets are off. You're lucky if you end up in jail. But enough of Naples, enough of Florida. We're gonna say goodbye to sunny sunny florida next year though is the 25th anniversary of two life crew i don't know if that's true they're probably like the 40th anniversary of two life crew but they're the only band from florida i know other than florida georgia line but we are now going we're coming back to california we should have done this one after the logan paul story but we're back in california 
we're actually going to a place called Ojai County. Now, Ojai County actually has a, a lot of ghost stories and monster stories and stuff like that down there. It's kind of weird how many they have. Ojai County has a lot of monsters already. A lot of monsters. And not, not like if you go there, the tourist board's like, watch out for the sea monster. But I mean, it has a lot of like legends of monsters, I should say. But like all legends, they have to start somewhere. And that is why we're going back to the 1960s. <laughs> I had to look over at my notes. We're going back to the 1960s. Do wop but up. The people are... Wait, no, that was the 50s. Okay, anyways, we're back, not around us. We're farther back in time. So 60s music would be like... Never mind, never mind. I'm going to stop doing the music thing. I just imagine like a 1950s movie. It's 1964. There are these teenagers walking through the wooded areas of Ojai County. They've always been told to stay away. You kids, you stay away from Billowack Dairy. Don't go there. And they're like, why? Is the milk tainted? And the old man's like, no, it's just don't go there. But, you know, teenagers will be teenagers. It's doo-wop music and, and malt shops in 1964 were all the rage. Kids with switchblades and leather jackets. It was a crazy time, 1964. Anyways, these teenagers go off into the woods because they want to explore this abandoned dairy. So it's late at night, because that's the only time to really explore abandoned dairies. They got their flashlights. Ooh, Charles, I'm so cold. Yeah, here, wear my Letterman's jacket. So anyways, they're walking through, and these teenagers are kind of shining their flashlights around. And Billowack Dairy, even in ruins, is quite impressive. It was basically a two-story building, and the walls have all crumbled away. And you can actually look, and you can see where all the decay has taken place. You can just walk in through any entrance. Quite spooky to see an abandoned building that's actually dissolving before your eyes. But as they're walking around Billowack Dairy, they hear something. Walking through the woods. Like, what is that? It sounds huge, whatever it is. It sounds super big. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, you need to go do your SATs again. But anyways, the kids start, keep moving, and they hear their... And something's moving through the woods. And again, it's not like little ghost girl footsteps behind him. Something big is coming. And so the kids turn, and they look, and they see it. That wasn't a baby. It wasn't a weird baby jet airplane. That was a creature, a giant humanoid. That's a better noise. With the head of a ram. Some later will say the head of a sheep, but we'll get into that. The head of a ram. Huge, massive, curly horns looking at them. Big old muscular ape body. Totally just like yoked out. (laughs) Covered in matted gray hair. Shink! Large claws. The kids book it. I I think, you imagine they're like looking at the creature from top to bottom. I would just see the horns eight feet in the air, and I'd be out of there. But anyways, they take off, and this creature begins chasing them through the forest. (laughs) And the those are the kids making that noise, not the monster. The kids jump onto the car, and the creature actually picked up a boulder and threw it at them and missed them. And the kids are like, start the car, start the car, I can, I can. Creature shows up and starts beating up the car. And just in the nick of time, the car drives away. 
Now, they drive into town, and they're like, townspeople, look, 1950s town people who happen to live in 1964, look at our car. And it was all beat up. Uh, what happened? What in tarnation happened to you kids? A big monster started punching our car. Townspeople go, you were at Billywhack Dairy, weren't you? Kids are like, yeah. Yeah, we went there to go check out the building. And they're like, I guess the building checked you out. <laughs> the kids are like, that doesn't even make sense. But see, here's the thing. The story of the Billywhack monster had long preceded these kids going out in the middle of the woods. Back in the 1950s, so that's why I got my confusion. Back in the 1950s, a little boy ran home with huge scratches across his back. Comes in crying, ah, mommy, mommy, something scratched my back up. Now, of course, the mom thinks maybe he's running through branches or maybe he, like, fell off a cliff or something like that. Very, The mom didn't care about him very much. She's too busy smoking her cigarettes. But he said a monster attacked him. And that was one of the first sightings of the Billowack monster. And over the years, people had seen it off and on, but it was people would go out to the woods to just kind of check out the creepiness of the building. Now, the urban legend had been there, but it wasn't super concrete. But after the teenagers were like, no, no, we got attacked by this thing, newspapers started running articles on this. Now, newspapers will run articles on anything, but it definitely doesn't mean that it's true, but it gave the rumor more legs. The LA Times runs the article saying these teenagers got attacked by this giant monster. The police ended up getting called out multiple times to the forest, not to fight the monster, but to stop kids from fighting the monster. At one point, these cops pulled over a child carrying a sword into the woods saying he was going to go fight the monster. You're like, who is this kid? Connor McLeod? Like, at what point do you think you're going to be able to sword a dude who's eight feet tall? Well, I guess that's what mythological heroes did. But anyway, so this kid thought he apparently was Hercules or Pericles or any of the Cles back then. At one point, a woman called the police. I th- I don't know what the cops were expecting to find when they got there. A woman called the police and says, I got a group of kids. There's about 43 of them. And the cops are like, what? She's like, let me finish. I got a group of kids. There's like 43 kids in my front yard. They're trying to go to the dairy. They're just going to get injured. The cops are like, okay, yeah, we'll be there in a second. We'll, we'll help you. And then she goes, uh, don't worry, I got them under control. I have a shotgun pointed at them. This woman had kept 43 kids at bay with a shotgun, so they want to go into the woods. That's a weird call. The cops show up, and of course, it's the 1960s slash 50s. They show up, and they get the kids out, and they give the mom like a medal. They're like, oh, hey, thanks for keeping the kids from going into the woods. You don't aim shotguns at them, but, you know. So where did this legend come from? That's the first thing we got to look at before we go into whether or not the Billowack monster is real. The Billowack dairy is real, and that story is intriguing as well. In 1924, Billowack dairy was set up, and it was a state-of-the-art dairy facility. It was a two-story building that had some of the most technologically advanced milk technology in the world. It had... How technically advanced can a dairy get would be my question. Like, they have, like... Look at we have titanium vats. You just keep yours in wood. Like, I mean, but I'm not a dairy technician. It was the most advanced of its time. It was founded by a guy named August Rubel. Now, he was originally from Sweden, and he had worked with the American Field Service in World War I. So there were already a, people were like, well, that's weird. Why is this guy from Sweden working with the American Field Service, a military veteran, but he was working with kind of like an operative group? Now he's in California and he has this dairy, this state-of-the-art dairy, million-million-dollar dairy set up. Kind of weird. 
the rumor started that he didn't just work with the American Field Service. He worked with the OSS, which was actually the precursor to the CIA. So now people are really intrigued about this foreigner in their area. How did he get the money to build this giant dairy? But everything seemed to be on the up and up. Dairy was incredibly successful, brought in tons of money. But at a certain point, August said, you know what? I'm going to leave the dairy behind. My heart calls for me to go back into the field service. And he apparently joined up with the American Field Service again. And the last we know is he blew up in a mine attack in Africa. He was They weren't attacking him with mines. He drove over one. I mean, that's how mines work, but he blew up. And over the years, eventually, the dairy went out of business and fell into a state of decay. That is when the dairy was discovered to have, in real life, apparently, I've never been there, but underneath the dairy was a whole other floor. Now, I actually have a friend who grew up on a dairy farm. I was, I'm, I was run, ran into my friend today, Paul and Robin, and I said, when he mentioned he was a dairy technician, I go, you know, I'm actually working on a story right now. Now, I don't know. Is it normal for dairies to have a floor underground? Because I don't know. Maybe that's where the milk gets pasteurized. Maybe that's where, like, the baby cows hang out before it's time to get milk. I don't know. He's like, what? And I go, isn't, do dairies normally have, like, a secret underground fortress underneath them? And he's like, I've never heard of that. Now, it doesn't mean that this underground facility... This secret underground facility that was only accessible if you poured the right colored milk into the right vials. Like, you have to put a little strawberry, a little chocolate. No, it wasn't that secret, but it had a whole floor underground. Is that normal for a dairy farm? And he said, no, that's not. And so that started the idea that maybe he was running secret experiments in this underground lab. Underneath the dairy. Because it'd be the perfect cover. You'd have stuff coming in and out. You'd have livestock coming in. Not leaving, really. But you'd have... Livestock showing up, you'd have big cargo container things full of milk coming in and out. I think you can understand that my level of the economics and production of milk is pretty weak, but you'd you'd have constant traffic there, you'd have the perfect cover, you could have something come in, put into the lab, you'd never know about it. Now, again, he may have found a reason to keep a floor underground for whatever reason. So that didn't necessarily make me suspicious, but what does make me suspicious was... That people for years after the Billowack Dairy going out of business, which was around the 40s, people said that they could find checks payable to August just floating all over the place. People said that you could go through the dairy because as it was crumbling away, you would look into walls and see checks for his business made out to him stuffed in walls. You would just be walking through the forest and find checks made out to him from distributors and suppliers and stuff like that that were uncashed. If you had a successful multi-million dollar, or maybe not multi-million dollar, but if you had a very, very successful dairy, why wouldn't you cash those checks? Unless you were getting more money from somewhere else. And that was all just the cover operation. When's the last time that you've gotten checks and never cashed them? Especially if they're checks for your business that you're, your for-profit business that you're running, you're just stuffing them in walls. Then as your building decays, they just fly everywhere. So was there some secret experiment going on underneath Billowack Dairy? I think the answer to that is it's very possible that there were things going on in that dairy that it was a cover business. Because when he left, the dairy stopped really operating or it started to decline very rapidly. It's not like he sold it off and someone else and it lasted for another 30, 40 years and stuff like that. State-of-the-art dairy... He leaves. I think someone took it over shortly, but then it just falls into disrepair. Other than like 
you even when a restaurant goes out of business, another restaurant moves in. You're telling me this dairy they just abandoned? But if the purpose wasn't to have, if the real purpose wasn't for it to be a dairy, but for it to be a cover, once you didn't need the cover anymore, you leave. So I think it's very possible the Billowack dairy was a cover for something. The question is, is does the Billowack monster exist? And did it come from that dairy? Now, that's obviously a more difficult question. There has been no photographs of the Billowack monster. There have been no like real evidence of the Billowack monster other than what people have seen, other than a couple dents in a car, claw marks. But you know what I mean? There's been no like plaster casts of footprints that I was able to find. Or, oh, look at here's where one of his horns molted off. He must have grown a new one. There's nothing like that. Does the Billowack monster exist? I mean, again, the, I really the answer to that is, do you believe in monsters or not? There's no, been no proof that it exists. There's been sightings of it and people saying they've been attacked by it and things like that. But there's urban legends all over the place. Does the creature exist? What's it, what I find interesting about the Billowack monster is that it has an origin story. Rather than Bigfoot who just kind of pops up or the Fae or goblins or whatever like that, like this creature is really a product of its time. The first sightings were in the 1950s out of the sci-fi movie. So it has a sci-fi origin. It has a location that it came from, a secret, a real life secret building underground, an existing building that was run by a guy who was rumored to work for the CIA which or the OSS, which sounds a bit of a retcon. But it's a cryptid that has... It's a modern-day cryptid. A lot of times you look at these cryptids and, you know, Bloody Mary started off like in the 1800s and then it became more personified in the 1950s. Bigfoot has been around for the longest time. Obviously, fairies and giants and stuff like that are cryptids of old. But it's interesting to look at this one because going forward, when we... The world's not even close to being over. We're going to be around for thousands and thousands of years after that. And so going forward, the cryptids that our great, great, great ancestors are afraid of are going to have these weird sci-fi twists. They're, going to, they're not just going to be, oh, no, Bigfoot's been around forever and he's walking around the world. This one was built in a lab, an affront to God, a genetically engineered creature, just like you would see in a matinee for $2. That's where these cryptids come from. And it'll be interesting because I think Going forward as a society, we'll see more and more of these. We don't get a lot of new cryptids. So whenever we find one that's relatively new and interesting, I think it's cool because we can see how these stories evolve. Bigfoot evolved because Westerners were coming into uncharted wildernesses and they were seeing something and they created the legend of Bigfoot. What type of cryptids are we going to have in the future? holographic cryptids it's funny because if you think about it ai the the story of these super advanced computer systems taking over the world is basically a cryptid it's basically a monster of our own making but it's not hiding in the dark shadows of our bedroom it's hiding in our computer or in our internet these mythical monsters really say a lot about where we're at as a society it's not always about the long claws or the horns on the head, or the giant body. Sometimes it's about what those things say to us. A man turned into a beast, or a beast turned into a man in a sci-fi setting right outside your neighborhood. 
I think no matter how far society evolves or where we end up going, someday, a thousand years from now, kids on some generation starship flying far past Alpha Centauri are going to be saying, don't go down into engineering. Don't go down there after 3 a.m. Why not? Because that's where the Gorbord lives. And he'll get you. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>